Amen and amen. Well, good morning, everybody. What a del- wonderful time to be here together, and what a what an awesome group here, and this uh, cold, foggy morning, and I cannot wait to the year as it goes on, and all the things kind of begin to open up a little more, and for those of you that are at home, God bless you. We love you, and I can't wait to see you, and I just want to remind us all because... You know, I know as soon as you feel better, and for those of you who have medical things, you need to kind of take a little more time. We understand that, but always remember that it is the devil that wants us separated. He wants us off alone. He likes those sheep off by themselves so he can grab them. And so it's just as soon as you're able, I just trust you'll be with us, and we love you, and just know that uh, we're praying for you this week. I have spent so much time in prayer for so many people. This morning, last night, I was just begging God for our sheep, and I know many of you are hurting, and others are not feeling well, others are just uh, challenged, and so uh, we're grateful to have each of you. And for those of us who are here this morning, these are exciting days. I'll tell you what, I am excited about 200 this year, 2021, and the 2020 was an awesome year. I'm just telling you, it was amazing. Our faith was deepened. Our understanding of scriptures was made so much more broad. Our appreciation of the family of God just was so much greater. And so uh, I am so grateful for each of us that are here. And thank you all for their making. We're still testing this new auditorium here, but uh, I'm just so grateful for all the technical crew and everybody who's been working so hard from the cleaning to the everybody getting all the little things plugged together. So praise the Lord for that. Well, let's open our Bibles now to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 9. And I trust you are ready for a bold, bold message, because that is the message of Revelation. God does not pull any punches. And that's what we like, don't we? We want God to give it to us straight. I don't want anybody beating around a bush when it comes to my eternal future. And so the book of Revelation, today's message is entitled, A Demonic devastation unleashed. That's what we're talking about. In Greek mythology, there is a group known as the sirens. The sirens are dangerous, supposedly alluring creatures who lured any nearby sailor with enchanting music and sounds, and they would bring them to their shore only to shipwreck them on the rocky coast of their insidious island. Well, this morning, while we know that's only a fable, the fact is the sirens of hell are louder than they've ever been before. They are alluring and charming and seducing and deceiving people. Never before in the history of the world has the sirens of humanism, that we as humans can solve everything. Secularism, that we want every vestige of God eliminated from the public eye. There has never been a time when the sirens of hell have been any more loud than they are as now. And yet as loud as they are, and as crazy as it is, folks, It is only a drop in the bucket compared to what's going to happen during that period of time known as the tribulation period. And yet, even like today, tragically, 
in spite of all the evidence, I mean, just page after page, uh, day after day of historical evidence before us in the news and wherever we can see, and yet in spite of that, people still reject God. And yet in this day, the time of the tribulation, it's even going to be worse. And that's what we see today. We're going to be what's known as, officially known in Scripture as the sixth trumpet judgment, or as it says, the second woe. And we'll be looking at that this morning. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Let's all pray. Even if you're at home, why don't you just go ahead and just be part of us. And so bow your heads and pray right now with us. Pray with us. Oh, God. Lord, would you meet with us today? Thank you for this opportunity to be here. Thank you that you've protected us, kept us safe. And for those, Lord, who aren't feeling well this morning, again, as you know, I've been praying all week. Lord, just lift them up, help them. But Lord, give us eyes to see. Help us to understand this passage. God, I pray that you will shake us down to our soul. How important it is to know the future events in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a look at where we are. Let's put that chart up, if you would, please. All right, there you see a very simple chart of where we're at. Notice on the far left there, you have that little U-turn. That's where Jesus comes for his saints. And then the saints that are on the earth are raptured. That's the next event. That is the next eschatological event for the church. And then that little circle, half circle on the bottom there shows a kind of a parenthesis, a seven-year period of time known as the tribulation. God has not appointed his church to tribulation. Thank God we'll be gone. And I am so grateful for that because God is going to pour out judgment on this earth. When the church leaves, the restraining power of the Holy Spirit is gone. The Holy Spirit still functions and operates, but not in the same way. And that allows the judgment of God, the Father, to be poured out and God the Son on the earth. The first thing that happened are these seal judgments. If you'll show the next little picture, uh, there uh, we'll come back to this chart. But imagine for a moment a scroll that's sealed seven times. And at each time it's opened, and that's the vision that God gave the great apostle John. And each time one of these, and this was a scroll that was given to the, Jesus Christ because he was worthy. We sing the song, Thou Art Worthy. Nobody can have that scroll because it's a title deed. Nobody, I can't go out and take your title deed to your home because I don't own it. I don't have the right to it. And you have to be holy to have the right to the eternity. Jesus has the right. He's been given the title deed. It's a scroll. Each seal is open. Let's go back to the, uh, to the chart there. Each seal is open. And as each seal is opened, different judgments come. Then on the seventh seal, when it's opened, it actually is seven trumpet judgments. And not like we think, you know, the beautiful brass horns there that our men play so nicely. No, we're talking about a, a ram's horn, a shofar, and it announces a war or announces something happening. Then each angel stands up and blows a horn, and then the judgment of God comes. And now we're into the final three of those uh, 
trumpet judgments, the seventh seal. We have seven angels. Now here are given seven trumpets. And then we have three woes, as we found out in the last part of chapter 8. And so we're going to go here. Now let's remind ourselves what's happening. In the world, despite all the craziness during this period, there'll be a great end-time revival. Who would have ever imagined that people would be getting born again and there's just a tremendous amount of people that are repenting and saying, I've been wrong. I've been living for myself. I've been living for just fun and vacations and what I can eat and where I can go and do And all of a sudden they realize I've been so wrong and they accept Jesus Christ as Savior. But amazingly, one of the most amazing things about this tribulation revival is that there's going to be a sweeping revival in Israel. Today, there are very few Israelis who would acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. And yet during that time, there's going to be so many get saved. The Bible says there's 12,000 of each tribe. And we, sometimes people talk about the 10 last tribes of Israel. Well, they're not lost to Jesus. And he knows who they are because the Bible says in that time, there's going to be 144,000 spirit-filled Hebrew evangelists, 12,000 from each tribe. And they are going to be preaching the gospel. Thousands will be getting saved. Unfortunately, the more that are getting saved, the more that are refusing to take of the mark of the beast... They're being martyred, killed, and butchered. And at the same time, what's going on is God is pouring out judgment after judgment. You'd say, does he hate the world? No, he loves the world. These are all warnings. And just like sometimes with a child, you have to kind of step up the severity of the discipline. God is just stepping up the severity, trying to get everybody's attention. And thank God, some are. But many are not. In fact, those that aren't are becoming more and more hardened. Now, we go to chapter 9. Last week, we saw this abyss open, this bottomless pit, and demonic hordes come out by the whatever thousands. They are demons that have been chained since before the world began. They are the worst of the worst. Had they been unchained years ago? There'd be no humanity today. And yet during this time, despite all this tremendous things going on, it's going to even get worse. And so now we come to the last of the three woes. The first one was last week. Now today, the second of the last uh, three woes or the last three trumpets. And this is the unleashing, a demonic devastation unleashed. And so let's go to verse number 12, and we find a demonic release, verses 12 through 14. All right, let's read verse 12 together, if you would, please. And if you're there joining us, and thank you for uh, reaching out to us. We hear from different people, or even uh, somebody I talked to last or texted last week from Hong Kong. Thank you. (laughs) I know that's a little, uh, I'm not sure when you're listening, but uh, that sounds pretty early or late or something. But uh, all right, let's go to verse 12. Let's read it together. Right, ready to begin. One woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. Let's go, let's do verse 13 as well, all right? And the sixth angel sounded, 
And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. All right, these angels, these angels, seven angels who are speaking and uh, they are announcing uh, in the idea of a trumpet. These are not the same as the angels in Revelation chapter 1, which are actually pastors of those churches. And these angels are unique angels. They're the secret service of God. They are what's known as presence angels. They are in the presence of a holy God. This sixth presence angel, it says he is at the golden altar. Now notice where it says there is a voice, a voice that sounds out from the four horns of that altar. Now we're not specifically told who the voice is, but since it's the golden altar and since it's in the presence of God, we can at least uh, imply, uh, probably likely, that in fact it is God who is announcing what's happening. Now what is this golden altar? A golden altar is not a big thing. Uh, The one on earth that was described in Exodus chapter 30 and other places is uh, one that the pattern actually is in heaven. A golden altar is nothing more than, as it sounds, gold, but it is a box-like structure that has horn-like projections on each end, and in it uh, is this uh, mercy seat. It's a, it's a place where incense is burned, and so uh, from these horns, we can uh, see from Scripture, there is a symbolic, uh, a lot of symbolisms that go on during this place and during this time. And it seems like the things that are done on earth symbolize what is actually happening in heaven. So what happened at this golden altar? The priest would go in, had to be an anointed priest, as our Jesus is Christ. The word Christ is the Greek word, which means the anointed one, Jesus, the anointed one. He is the anointed priest. 1,300 years before Christ, these Jewish priests would go into the holy place, and there They would go to this golden altar. They would go to this altar where incense was offered, and they would be there. They would offer this incense. They would go in. The high priest then would go into the holy of holies, and he would, there would be a great place where they would pray for the mercy of God. Now here, it's different. There, 1,300 years before the time of Christ, As we see in the book of Exodus, chapter 30 and other places, they were praying for the mercy of God. Here, this priest, these angels, these ones in heaven are praying for the judgment of God, the the justice of God, the discipline of God to come forth on this earth. Notice what it says. There are horns on this altar. What were these horns for? Well, they were just uh, symbolisms of announcement. The word, uh, oftentimes they would blow a horn for, uh, to announce a gathering. They would blow a, a shofar to announce that there was a war. They would blow a, a shofar to announce some big announcement in the nation. And so these horns are representative of something that God is announcing. That's why the voice comes out of the horns. They're also a place where if people would go, they could grab onto that horn there and they had, uh, they had these uh, horn on these altars there in the temple that people could actually go to, not the actual uh, one in the Holy of Holies. But look in 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse 50. 
or you can just see it there on your overhead. Notice what it says. It's speaking about a one called Adonijah. Adonijah was uh, one of David's sons, and he uh, was not the uh, appointed one to become king, and uh, David loved him, but this uh, Adonijah was a schemer, not a nice guy at all. And Solomon was God's chosen to take it over. He tried to take over. And when, he, when it was found out what he was trying to do, he, uh, he ran. He was so afraid because Solomon found out. Look what it says. And Adonijah, that's his um, half-brother, feared because of Solomon. And arose and went and caught hold on the horns of the altar. And so the idea is that they would take responsibility for their sin. They would admit their sin. They would ask for forgiveness. And I just can't imagine what it'd be like, folks, to live a life without being able to get the burden lifted. Folks, we all sin. We all mess up. We all screw things up. I can't imagine how terrible it'd be just never be able to say, I'm sorry. I don't know the policy of some people is to never admit you're wrong. Well, I'll tell you what, that's a terrible policy. It is the best policy to grab onto the horns of the altar and say, I've sinned. And that's what God's trying to encourage people here. He's saying, in the coming tribulation day, you ought to grab onto the horns of the altar like a Adonijah, and you ought to plead for the mercy of God. And so this sixth trumpet is a day when God's mercy is running thin, or his patience, I should say, is running thin, and his mercy is still being extended. Remember famous uh, message by Paul in Acts chapter 17 on Mars Hill. Some of you maybe have been to Greece, been to Athens there, and outside of Athens there's that beautiful Acropolis Hill, and there at the beginning at the bottom of that is Mars Hill, a place where people would come and preach, and people would come and speak about their gods, Paul got up there and spoke about the living God. And notice what Paul said to everybody. Very powerful. Verse, chapter 17, verse 30. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Now, folks, just so we know, God's never overlooked sin. He doesn't say, oh, it doesn't make any difference. It's just that God is patient. He's long-suffering. He waits and he waits, as it says, he winks at sin. He doesn't judge people what we should get. And we see that every day, don't we? We see the wickedness that goes on. And we say, why in the world doesn't God just strike them dead? Because God winks at sin. God is not going to wink at sin in the tribulation period. God is going to pour out. And we even see that happening at times now. But it says, but now commandeth. All men everywhere to repent. By the way, that's why God can justly send a person to hell. Because we're commanded to repent. If it's a command to repent and we don't repent, then we've broken the commands of God. You say, well, I'm a holy, I'm a great person. Well, but if you repented, then you've, if you haven't, you've broken the command of God. That is sin. God wants us to repent of our sin. God will not wink at that. And then look what it says in verse 31. Because he hath appointed a day. Ah, oh, here's the day. We know the day. We're seeing it now in Revelation 9. He has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Judges today do their best. 
Some are liberal and some are conservative, but, and hopefully they do their best. But there's coming a day when the judge is absolutely perfectly righteous, and it says he will judge the world in righteousness by that man, Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing? Loving Jesus is the same one who is, who is the Savior, and now he's the judge. He is the ordained executor in the book of Revelation. Now, folks, we're already seeing this happen. We're already seeing God pour out his uh, judgment on this earth. But at that time, it's even going to be greater. Let's go to verse 14 now. Saying to the sixth angel. So there's this voice coming from this golden altar in heaven. And it's saying the earth must be judged. I no longer am going to wink at sin. This altar of mercy is now an altar of judgment. Verse 14. Saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. Now, who in the world are these four angels? Now, remember that the word angel simply means the word messenger. Messenger. Some people have suggested that these angels are actually good angel messengers of God. And it's possible, but I don't really think so, given what we're seeing here. First of all, good angels never in Scripture are bound. But there are bad angels. There are angels who are evil. There are angels who sinned in their first estate. And we know what they are. They are called demons in Scripture. They are Satan's followers. They are angelic in the fact that they are spirit beings who were at the beginning. And it says that there are four of them that have been bound. Notice what it says, which are bound. So that means at the time of the book of Revelation, chapter 9, when they're loosed, they are bound. That means they're bound right now. There are four angels right now. There are four bad angels, evil angels. There are four arch demons that are bound right now. These are different even than the ones we saw last week's. They are bound right now. And Satan is not happy about that because Satan has this great demonic horde that has been his helpers. We're not talking about the demons that are working right now. And folks, I think you'll agree with me. This world is absolutely infested with demonic influence. I would, it is a terrible thing going on in this world. And we see it in our public sphere. We see it in the lives of people. We see it in crime statistics. We see it all over that demons are working and suggesting, and it's terrible. I mean, we, every time we hear something bad, it just gets worse. That's because demons are constantly out there suggesting people to do things and to get worse. But folks, these are just the demons that are working here. There are those that are in the heavenlies, that are in heaven itself, and they are up there, and they are doing things in the skies and in the worlds above. Then we saw last week, there's this great group of demons that are bound in the abyss. That's not these. That's a whole nother group. They are led out of the abyss by Apollyon, Abaddon, this, uh, this great uh, uh, lieutenant of the devil. And they come forth on the earth and 
they come forth with these terrible uh, face like men and hair like women and they just are terrible demons that are just going to be out in this world. But that's not even these. This is a whole new group of demons controlled by four major demons. And it says here that they are at the river Euphrates. And so this is not the same as last week. They are bound in the river Euphrates. Now why and what in the world is the river Euphrates? Well, one of the great rules of biblical interpretation is to compare Scripture with Scripture. And of course, also, we want to make sure we go before what we're reading and after, so we can do that. But let's compare Scripture with Scripture. What's the first mention of Euphrates in Scripture? Well, we find it in Genesis chapter 2. We won't go to the exact verse, but in that verse, God talks about in the Garden of Eden, there are four major rivers, the Pashan, the Gihon, the Hadaikel, which is the Tigris, and the Firat, which is the Euphrates, even sounds the same. Look at the map, if you would, please. We find uh, we have the Tigris and the Euphrates are very well known. They're out there today. The, uh, the other two, the Pishon and the Gahan, are suggested by the two uh, blue lines there. But these four uh, rivers, it says, contain and have in this area... Four angels that are bound. And so in this uh, cradle of civilization, this area where the Garden of Eden began, and the civilization began, where the Garden of Eden was, there where the first sin occurred. It is there where the first lie was told. It is there where the first murder happened. It is a place where there are four uh, d- major demons that are holding this uh, sinful world, and, uh, um, and they are doing things to make this sinful world terrible. It says here, this is, by the way, this is also the place where the Tower of Babel was. The Tower of Babel, which is the beginning of all false religion, secularism, idolatry, polytheism, and uh, astrology, and the worship of science. And today, we are full into this worship of science. Everybody always says it. We follow the science. You guarantee it. 99% of the people that say they follow the science means we don't follow God. Guaranteed. We follow science. We don't care what God says. We follow science. They're making a God out of science. That's exactly what the people who made the power of Babel said. These are demons. They are, they are, they are bound in these four rivers. And as bad as our earth is right now, One can only imagine what would happen if these four uh, lieutenants of the devil had been let loose. Well, it says that the sixth angel blows. The voice of God says, release them. If the human race wants sin, if they want their sin, if they want unbridled sin, then so be it. God gives them over. Look what it says in Romans chapter 1 verse 24. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness, who changed the truth of God into a lie. During the time of the tribulation, people will say, we don't want God. We don't want religion. They're saying it today. We don't want anything about holy and righteousness. We don't want it. Thank God there's the Holy Spirit who restrains. 
Thank God there are a restraining sense of the church and a, a restraining sense. But during the tribulation period, all that's gone. And God is going to say, you want sin? You want demons? You want science? You want the Tower of Babel? You want false religion? You want all this? Then here it is. God gives them over and says, if you want lies, you can have the lies. And today, there are those who give us the lie. There are those who say, down is actually up. Others who call dark light. They don't know up from down or in from out. We have empty suits running all around, and they are now trying to run a country. In the great, uh, well, the great mythological past, Plato's Republic, there were sailors who supposed to steer by a fixed truth, by the stars. They were supposed to steer by the sun and by the shore. But these particular Mariners felt like they had a better idea. And so because they couldn't see the stars or the sun because of the cloud, they thought they would steer by the use of a lantern. And so they put a lantern on the bow of their ship. And wherever that lantern went, that's where they steered their ship. And that's exactly what's happening today. People don't go by the fixed truth of the word of God. They don't look at God's stars they follow these little lanterns, scientists. They follow malfunctioning pocket lights called governors and senators instead of following the beautiful North Star of Scripture. And folks, we look at things now and we say, how in the world can people be so ignorant? Well, folks, during the tribulation period, it's just going to be so deceptive. There's going to be people saying all kinds of things it's because these is a great demonic release. Now let's go, if you would please, to the second part of this, and that is a death reinstated. Now you may remember last week, this demonic horde comes out of the abyss, and they are tormenting people, and people are trying to die. Now today, everybody wants to live. Oh, we're going to save a life. Everybody wants to live today. I, I'm, I'm in that group. I don't want to die. But folks, there's coming a day when people will wish they could die because there's so much pain. And yet here the Bible says uh, they were, weren't allowed to die for five months. And now God is going to allow them to die. It says, verse five, and the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour, a day and a month and a year for to slay a third part of man. The human race, which has already been reduced by a fourth in the earlier chapters, now is by another third. You can only imagine what it's going to be like. In fact, look what it says here in this verse. God has it down to, the, to an hour. They were prepared for an hour. A certain day, a certain month, a certain year, and a certain hour. Folks, there's a, there's a time appointed. I mean, it is written. That time is going to happen. And when it does, it is vengeance time. And God says that he will allow this swarm of demons like a wild pack of dogs that have been chained. He's going to take the chains off and they're going to come out and they're going to kill one third of the human race. Now, folks, it can only wonder what a massive calamity that's going to be. I mean, look what it says, verse number, I mean, 
We're talking this huge, monstrous spirit army that kills vast groups of people. You talk about uh, trying to bury a third of the human population. Who can imagine? Verse 16, and the number of the army of this demonic horseman were 200,000 thousand. That's an old English way of saying 200 million. And I heard the number of them. Folks, 200 million paranormal thugs. There's already been a huge throng of demons all over the earth, and yet a whole new wave of evil, a vast demonic insurgency. 200 million, does that sound familiar? For those of you that have uh, been in the Word of God, you uh, think about it and you say, is this the same one as it talks about in Revelation chapter 16? there yet. We'll get there eventually. But uh, when you look at the uh, 200 million in chapter 9, and you look at the 200 million in chapter 16, there's a lot of differences. The 200 million in chapter 16 says it comes from the east. It seems to be armies, and maybe even armies from the Asian nations. Who knows? But here, it doesn't seem to be the same. And so we would suggest then that actually this particular army is not people, but it's 200 million demons that have been let loose in the earth. And like a, not a category four or five hurricane, like a category 10,000 hurricane, they come and one third of the human race are killed. Now, what do these demons look like? Well, notice the hues of hell, the colors of the afterlife. Look at verse 17. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Oh, they appear like horses, these demons. And then they that sat on them, having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and brimstone. And the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions. And out of their mouth issues fire and smoke and brimstone. Whether they actually uh, are going to be specifically this way or in the sense that this is the vision that they would appear. These demons were so crazy looking. Notice what it says. They have a breastplate of fire, the fire which is red. And then he describes the jacinth or Actually, jacinth is the same word for hyacinth, which is blue. And uh, then it talks about brimstone. Brimstone, the word brimstone just means burning stone. And the idea is there that there's some kind of burning stone that is coming forth. And uh, many think it's sulfuric type uh, uh, stone. And if you can, you can take a little uh, stone of sulfur and they can light it. And it's gooey and it's sticky and it burns forever. Or it might be lava. And so, and certainly lava would uh, kind of look like this here. But whatever the, fake, the, the, the situation is, they are fierce, lion-headed beings that are burning, that are s- smelling like brimstone, sulfuric acid, and yellow, and red, and blue, and black. I mean, just the colors alone would probably freak us out. But it says, out of their mouth proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. Brimstone is a 
topic that is often talked about in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, chapter 19, chapter 20, chapter 21. And brimstone, as I said, is just a fiery and kind of indicates uh, maybe something from the beginning of the center of the earth. But the fact is that God is trying to warn people. I've heard people say, oh, that, that old church over there, it's a fire and brimstone church. Oh, you mean a loving church. Oh, you mean a loving God. That's the kind of church that that is. Oh, good. That's the kind I want to go to. I remind you this morning, a church that does not tell people about brimstone is not a loving church. A pastor that does not tell people about hell is not a loving pastor. Because this is, why do you think God's putting all this here? Just to make people freak out? He's trying to warn them. He's trying to say, do not do this. Do not go to hell. Do not do your own thing. Accept God. Accept Christ into your life. That's what he's trying to tell people. He's trying to remind them, stay away from that. Now we come here this morning and we see this demonic group that has just been let loose. It is said during the French Revolution, they were pulling down cathedrals. By the way, that French Revolution just devastated the nation of France and to this day is a terrible secular nation. During the French Revolution, they were pulling down cathedrals, toppling crosses. One man, one atheist man looked at a religious peasant and said, we're going to destroy everything that reminds you of your so-called God. And that peasant looked at that man and pointed to the sky and he said, I suggest you try and pull down the stars then. <laughs> because friend, the stars of God remind us that God is in control and the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament show his handiwork. And that's what God's saying here. You ought to look to the heavens and see what's going on. Now let's go to verse 18. By these three was the third part of men killed by the fire, by the smoke, by the brimstone, which is issued out of their mouths. I mean, this is devastating. As many people are dying by the smoke as they are by the fire. And then the Holy Spirit adds verse 19. Just in case we were wondering if we can make it through this time, don't try. Verse 19, for power is not only in their mouth, or it's in their mouth, but also in their tails. In their tails were like unto serpents. They had heads which do them hurt. In their tails. Now folks, these crazed demons that have been bound, 200 million of them bound in the four rivers there in the Persian Gulf, four demonic lieutenants of the devil who he has been longing to let loose. He has been waiting for God the Father to let loose. They are, they are let loose. And then 200 million creatures, demonic creatures with faces like lions breathing out fire and smoke and sulfuric acid and all these crazy colors ripping and chewing people to pieces. And then it says, if that wasn't enough, they're stinging people. The idea really is that of just creating so much mental anguish. Now, folks, I'm telling you what, this is not some 
Fruitcake uh, End Times uh, podcast here. This is God just telling folks, you need to stop and think about this. What will be happening during this time? Governors will stand up and saying, yes, we're having a, a problem. We need to do this and we need to do that. Hospitals will be overrun. Cemeteries will be, they won't even be able to bury all the people. Morgues will be full. Financial upheaval all around. People running around afraid, staying in their houses. A demonic release. A death reinstated. Folks, these days we live in are just a, they are just a dress rehearsal for the days that are coming. I promise you. That's why God says, get saved now. Look at the last part of this chapter. Not only a demonic release and a death reinstated, but finally, a defiant reaction. You would think, I mean, rational people would think they would, nobody would reject God, but that's not the case. Look what it says, verse 20. And the rest of the men, humanity, not just males, but females, which were not killed. So the other two-thirds, by the most part, now many will be saved. But for the most part, they repented not of their works, wicked works, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and brass and stone of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Unbelievable. Beyond comprehension. Will not repent. And they will have 144,000 spirit-filled Jews. There will be two witnesses. There will be angels preaching the everlasting gospel. There will be neighbors and family members and people that will be not be taking the mark of the beast. They will be holding on to their Bibles. People will come to the home church and find Bibles in the walls. They will find because the internet will be controlled and there will be nobody getting the word of God over the internet. Hmm. Nobody will be able to preach on YouTube in the tribulation period. You're going to have to have a physical copy of the Word of God. You're going to have to have something that you can get a hold of. And yet during this time, in spite of all of that, people will be just grounding the blood of Jesus into the ground. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. This is that time. Hebrews 10 verse 29. How much sore punishment suppose ye? Shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant, the blood that Jesus shed, wherewith he was sanctified as an unholy thing and hath dis done despite unto the Spirit of grace? Can you imagine someone taking the memory of one of your loved ones who's passed away and just spitting on their grave or grinding their thoughts or their picture into the ground. Many years ago when I was just a young preacher, just as started out, I went to a donut shop over in the east side of Stockton and it was a rough crowd over there, but I was getting a donut. I love those donuts, you know. And, and I, uh, I had left my Bible on the table and walked out and forgot. And uh, I came back. And uh, to get my 
Bible. And a old guy, he's just mean, boy. He's a mean old cuss. And he knew I was a pastor. He said, hey, pastor. He said, you forget your Bible? I said, yeah, I, I did. I said, thank you. He said, you know what I use the Bible for? I said, no. He said, I use it in the bathroom. I use the Bible in the bathroom. Laugh. Now, folks, that was nothing compared to the vileness, what it says, when people will not repent, despite all that Jesus has done for them, despite all the warnings. The Bible says there's over 600 warnings of hell. Now, if someone looks at you 600 times and says, please don't go to hell, I beg you not to go to hell. Hell is terrible. Don't go to hell. Please don't go to hell. My friend, if I go to hell, it's not their fault. And the loving Savior, people will not repent. Why won't they repent? Because they are full of sin. There are five sins that God just calls out. And God doesn't pull any punches. God names sin. And it's not a popular thing for a preacher to name sin. But God doesn't care how politically correct it is or it isn't. He just tells it like it is. Five sins. Sins characterize this time in the book of tribulation, in the book of Revelation, chapter 9. The first one is idolatry. Verse 20. Works of their hands. Works of their hands. They will make idols to worship. Idols of brass and gold and wood. They will worship the things they make with their hands. They will worship buildings. They will worship their universities and their colleges and their stadiums, and they will worship their bank accounts. They will worship things they have made with their hands. And in fact, probably even icons, little things that appear to be like good luck charms. You'd say, well, what's so bad? I mean, aren't they just wood or aren't they just brass? The Apostle Paul specifically answered that question in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. People said, what's wrong with an idol? He said, I agree, an idol is a piece of wood. I agree, an idol is a piece of brass. But he said, the demons that are associated with the idol, that's the problem. Because demons attend idols. They're not in the idol, they're not the idol, but they, they connect themselves to it. And so a person begins to speak to the idol Oh, good luck charm. Oh, idol, help me tomorrow at work. The devils, these demons don't know the future, but they know human races because they've been around a long time. And so they might do something, say something, and something may happen good for that person. Well, it's like, look at that. I offered an orange to my idol, and today I got a raise. It was the demon that did that. It wasn't the idol. It was a demon. And so the Apostle Paul said the thing that's wrong with idols, icons, good luck charms, anything that we connect ourselves to, that that's our little thing, our house, our car, whatever it is. It could even be a relationship at any idol that's before God. There's a demon associated with it. And God said, you think it's bad now? It will be rampant in that day. People will be clinging to anything to help them from all that's going on. Idols. There's a second thing, verse 21. Neither repented they of their murders. There will be a bloodthirst in that day, violence, violent crime. 
They've been killing Christians left and right and have gotten a bloodthirst. Violent crime will continue day after day, week after week. I've been just, it's been incredulous to me how that up in Portland, Oregon over the last six, seven, eight months, every single night they have had a protest. Just violent, burning down places, hurting people, even people have died. And the politicians have said they need to do this. Even our president-elect said this is important for people to protest and do that. Violence, BLM and others, protesting at the encouragement of political leaders. How sad that violence will characterize that coming day unlike anything we've seen. And even though we've seen some cradle crazy things, it will characterize society. Nobody will be safe. People say, well, I have a security system. It means nothing. You say, well, I have a gun. It means nothing. You can't shoot enough people if a thousand people come around your house. The Bible says here that it'll be a violent place. And then sorceries. It's an interesting Greek word. It's actually the word pharmakai. It's the word for pharmaceutics. Drugs. Drugs will just fill the tribulation period. People crazed on drugs. Why not? I mean, they're so upset. There's so much pain. There's so much death. They're trying to numb the pain, have some medicine, alcohol, marijuana, all the illicit drugs. It's no surprise then that Oregon just decriminalized all drugs. Now it is legal in the state of Oregon to take Heroin, cocaine, and metaphine, methamphetamines. It is no longer a criminal offense. Go ahead, take your heroin and your cocaine. Just go for it. Folks, during the tribulation period, most of the people are going to be just hopped up on drugs. Can we imagine then a society hopped up on drugs, violent, just worshiping their idols, idol, now that's... If that wasn't enough, the Bible says the next thing is fornication, which just means sexual perversion. Now, if we think that homosexuality and pedophilia is bad, folks, I'm telling you the things that are going to go on in tribulation period, if you have a son or a daughter, you won't be able, can you imagine a wife? Can you imagine what it'd be like during that period just trying to protect your family from the murders? From the violence, from the drugged people, from the demonized people. Folks, God is saying, don't go through this day. And if that wasn't enough, finally, it says there's a time of theft. Theft like you've never imagined. Now, theft today is terrible. Cybercrime is absolutely uh, just so uh, prevalent. In fact, Almost everybody has had some sort of scam. I mean, touched by someone taking your credit card, your number, doing something. As a church, we've had people do it to the church. We've had it personally. I mean, just everywhere. Of course, the only hope then is added security. You need a mark. You need a chip. You need something that will secure. And yet, all of our, your money will be stolen. Your houses, your they're having a big problem in Mexico because expatriates from America are going there buying land and then finding out later they don't, 
They have a title deed and yet it's never recorded. They put money in banks, go to the bank and the money's gone. What do you think what's going to happen during this period? The Bible says you're going to put it in the bank and the bank will take it. You put it under your bed and you're going to have to have cash, but we're gone to a cashless society. There's so much thieving. And so there's going to be, people are going to be longing for food and how can we even pay for food? Now, folks, this is a heavy, heavy passage. We look through all of this and we say, why would God do this? Well, look what it says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Why does God put this terror there? He does it so that we can tell folks, tell everybody, lovingly tell people, Christ is coming. There's a terrible tribulation period. You don't have to go through it. I close with this powerful quote from a former atheist, a former atheist, educated man from the UK, from Britain, by the name of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said a powerful thing about this whole accepting God, accepting self. He said there are two classes of people in this world. Those who, like Satan, say to God the Father, not your will, but mine be done. That's the first group. Not your will, but mine be done. But there's another class of people who do not follow Satan, as it will be during that tribulation, who follow Jesus and say with Jesus, not my will, but thine be done. Now he said everybody is in one of those two classes. Now you need to know this though, that if you're in the first class, if you're in that first group, that the day you die and the day you drop into hell, you need to know that God the Father, a broken-hearted God, will say the words, not my will, but yours be done. You must spend eternity in hell because it was your will. We are told in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, God is not willing that any should perish. And I promise each one of us here this morning, if any here or online, those of you that are listening, if any die and go to a fiery hell, you will have to crawl over a bloody cross. It will be the hardest thing. But if you like these say, I will not repent. I simply will not repent. And my friend, it is not God's will, but yours. It was your choice. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed here this morning. These are heavy, heavy words. These are bold, bold words. But how, and pray that right now, Jesus, wash away every sin I've ever committed. In Jesus' name.